Well, we're finishing up our Money and Possession series tonight. We're going to finish it up either way, because starting next week, we're going to start uh, dealing with uh, uh, the ministry, and we're going to have each of the fellows as we move along next month and into actually October as well for just a week. 
uh, addressing their area of, of ministry. For instance, on uh, next Wednesday, uh, Brother Josh is going to talk about music a little bit. And uh, I'm not sure exactly what he's going to share or what his angle will be, but I told him he's welcome to share it for, how, for however he'd like to. He's just, uh, whether it's on just our ministry here and our philosophy or whether it might even be about actually music itself, but technically speaking, whatever. I'm not sure what he's going to talk about, but I want to give him the liberty to do so. And then the following week, we're going to talk about uh, Brother Kavanaugh is going to get up and talk about the youth ministry and just then things about that. And uh, then the following week, uh, Brother Brad, he'll be up, and, and then uh, uh, a couple of weeks later, Brother Josh will be back up with the bus ministry. So uh, the Sunday schools with Brother Brad, and then finally close it out with the bus ministry with Brother Josh. So anyway, over the next few weeks, we're going to have an opportunity to learn a little bit about the ministry, and that's important, and that's good, and uh, certainly um, uh, want you to be a part of that and understand what we're doing, why we do it, those kind of things. And I'm sure we'll get a little bit of everything on those nights. Now, again, it's limited time, uh, but uh, it'll be worth your time, and it'll be worth uh, being a part of it. Now, let's go ahead and close this out tonight, Money and Possessions. And we've been addressing and dealing with Money and Possessions for quite a few weeks now. And uh, we talked about our perspective concerning Money and Possessions. We uh, looked at our position concerning Money and Possessions. We asked some questions along the way. We said, do I have to be poor to please God? And we, of course, learned that's not the case at all. We said, at what point does money interfere with my relationship with God? And we spent some time addressing that and dealing with it. And then last week, we started talking about some things that are far more important than money and which money cannot buy. And at that point, we said, well, wisdom was one of those things. And then we said a righteous life was one of those things. And we said a good night's sleep was one of those things. So some things that are far more important than money, which money cannot buy, well, wisdom, a righteous life, and a good night's sleep. Tonight we're going to finish that up, and then we're going to go to another question, uh, uh, and, and we're going to ask the question, what are the proper attitudes I should develop toward physical possessions? And we're going to close it out with that tonight. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll move along. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together. Lord, again, we need this encouragement as we go, draw closer to your return. Lord, the, the days in which we live are not going to get any better, it doesn't seem. And Lord, as they grow near to your return, we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to be encouraged. Lord, that we would be exhorted, that we'd be instructed and inspired, Father, in your word, that we might stand strong in the midst of these days. Father, we don't want to fail you and we don't want to falter in any way. So help us, Lord, to just be strong in the Lord. And Lord, help us to know your word and to apply it to our lives. And then, Lord, to share it with others. We love you. We need you tonight. Speak to our hearts, even in this area of finances, an area that is so awfully important to you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. And so, as we talk about some things that are more important than money and that money can't buy, first, uh, fourth, number four, I should say, is God's word. But I'll tell you what, when we think about the word of God, we've got to think about something that's much more valuable than money. And much more valuable, uh, it's something money can't buy, actually, when it's all said and done. I mean, there were times in, uh, throughout history, in the Dark Ages, when you couldn't get a Bible if you wanted one. And so money couldn't purchase it. I mean, if you had enough money, you thought you might be able to get it. But you had to believe the way certain groups believed, or you weren't permitted to have it. You had to attend certain schools. You had to have so much education. You had to be at certain position in life, if you will, to even have the right to look at a Bible. If you were the wrong language, if you weren't, uh, you know, uh, listening to, uh, you know, 
if you weren't uh, in Latin or something, then uh, speaking Latin, you wouldn't even have the Bible in access. You couldn't even access it. And so there were some things there that uh, uh, you, 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 the, the Word of God is just so valuable. The Bible says in Psalm 19, 119, verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. In Psalm 119, 72, the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. In Psalm 119, 127, the psalmist says, Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Again, the psalmist here, this is, this is the uh, defining chapter in the word of God concerning a man and the love of God's word. I mean, if you want to you learn what a good attitude toward the Word of God is, you read Psalm 119. That's the book you want to read. That's the chapter, I should say, you want to read. Because this man, this man of God, this psalmist, has the right attitude. He truly loves God's Word. And he recognizes and understands that there's no amount of money that can purchase the Bible. There's no amount of money that, is, that would, would be more valuable than the Bible. He's not trading his Bible in for anything. And you know what? We can't either. And listen, we may not, we may say to ourselves, well, I don't, I don't believe the Bible could be purchased with any amount of money, but yet we'll give up the word of God and even the house of God so that we can go to work and we'll say, well, we have to provide for our families. So in essence, we've said it's worth this much money to us. I don't have time to read my Bible. I got to work. I got to get up early. I got responsibilities. Then that's what the Bible's worth to you. That's what it costs you to give it up then. What's well, really quiet in here? I'm going to tell you something. You should never give the Bible. I don't care how deep you are into schooling, how much you're involved at work, how busy your family life is. My friend, let me tell you something. This book can't be bought with any. There's nothing more valuable than this book. Then how's come we'll go ahead and put our family, we'll put our work, we'll put our school above it. And we'll say it now. Every one of us in the room would say, there's nothing more valuable than the word of God, but yet we'll sell it out. And listen, we've all been there for a little bit of rest, for a little bit of money, for a little bit of time, for a little bit of relaxation, for a little bit of ca- uh, uh, comfort. We'll say, well, that's, that's, that's okay. I don't need to read my Bible. And so in essence, we're saying that's what it's worth. If you'll give me a little bit of comfort, I'll throw my Bible away. If you'll give me a little more money, I'll discard my Bible. I mean, really, I mean, what are we saying today? I'm just, saying, I, I'm just saying, read chapter 119 one time. Find out what it really means to truly love and adore the Word of God. And again, I'm not accusing you of doing this. I'm saying, though, if the shoe fits, wear it. And the fact is today is that whether it's in your life or mine, I know for a fact that I don't appreciate this book like I ought to. Someone says, well, I'm, I'm trying to read it. Stop trying and just do it. Just get doing the thing, man. You know, I mean, we're always talking about trying. Listen, I bet you tried to get out of bed this morning, and you did. You tried to go to work this morning, and you did. You know what I'm talking about? You, you tried to make breakfast maybe this morning, and you did. You know, how's come it is when I try to read the Bible, I don't? Seems like anything you really try to do, you get done. And it's true with me, too. So let's quit making excuses. I tried. No, we don't. We don't try, really. If we were really trying, we'd get her done. I'm telling you, the Word of God, that's something that's more valuable than any amount of money, and you can't purchase it with money. Boy, I'll tell you what, we are blessed in America. we got Bible after Bible after Bible available to us, and yet we read it less and less and less than any time in history in our country. 
Well, take that back. Back in the, 19, in the 1700s, they were pretty wicked and sinful too. If you know anything about our history, there had to be a great revival in the 1750s that uh, awakened the, 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 this country of ours. So maybe they were just as in bad a shape as we're getting. But God's Word, wow, how powerful is it and how necessary is it and how valuable should it be to us? Not only that, but let's talk about another one that's more valuable. We think about, again, uh, some things that are far more important than money, which money cannot buy. Good health. Your health. Well, I'll tell you what, there are people that would spend every penny they had just to add another year of life to their life. Give every penny they had to be able to get up and be able to walk again. Every year, they'd spend all they had to get rid of that terminal disease that is eating them away inside. People that have, term, uh, have, have chronic pain would give who knows how much money and everything they possess to be able to alleviate that pain and to be once again able to function properly like they used to. Money doesn't mean anything when your health is failing. It doesn't mean nothing. The Bible says in Luke 8, 43, And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. Man, I mean, she had a problem going on here, an issue of blood, and for 12 years. She spent everything she had trying to overcome. And let me tell you something. When you're not healthy, when you don't have uh, your health anymore, you would spend any amount of money if you could just get it straight. If you could really be healthy again. I'm telling you, good health. Boy, I'll tell you what, you ought to thank God for every bit of health you got. I ought to thank God for every bit of health. And you say, well, you don't understand. I still got some pains. It could be worse. You're here tonight, aren't you? Boy, I'll tell you what, you're doing better than a lot. I'm just saying we've got to recognize how valuable this, what we hold in our hands with our health. Even if we're not perfectly healthy, we have many times enough health that we could be doing something great for God and we can be enjoying life with it. Then there's this one, and this one's really, really important. Some things that are far more important than money, which money cannot buy. Peace and quiet. You know, that, that peace in your heart even, not just outside, exterior, but internally. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible says, Better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Man, I'll tell you what, now there's a mouthful, isn't it? I mean, a handful with quietness is better than the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Well, I'll tell you what, go ahead and get mixed up in a bad marriage. There ain't no amount of money that makes you feel good. You young people, better, you better figure that one out, too, before you make the bad decisions. Listen, over 50%, 50% of couples in the United States, and that includes church couples, end up in divorce. You better be careful. Don't be one of the 50. Make up your mind you're going to wait on God. And you do real well, real well, mind you, to listen to your parents for a change. 
Now listen, somebody says, you sound angry. I am angry. I'm about fed up to hear with young people who don't want to hear what mom and dad have to say. Then they get in a mess, and the first one they want to come back to is mom and dad to bail them out. Now listen to me. You better think it through before you make decisions in this life. There are consequences for every decision you make. Once you make the decision, I heard this said once, you make the decision, then the decision makes you. Boy, you better be careful. Young people, you are so blessed to be in the homes you are and to be in the church you're in. Don't you throw that away. Don't you take it lightly. You take that for granted, it'll come back to bite you and you'll regret it the rest of your days. Now I feel like the old guy preaching to the young people. <laughs> Remember how you, when you was a kid, you'd think, that, that old preacher, he don't know what he's talking about. And there's a few of them over there thinking that right now, probably. Think what you want. Do what you want. You're going to anyway. But the consequences are real. Proverbs fifteen sixteen. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures and trouble therewith. Wow, how important is it that our homes center around Christ? Man, there is something about a Christ-centered home and the peace and the serenity that comes from that that can be found no other place, no other way. But we need Christ at the center of our homes. I I mean, you you know, tonight, here you are, you're in the right place. And I want to encourage you parents and, and even grandparents, let's keep Christ at the center of our homes. Because when he's at the center, there is peace. Because God is not the author of confusion. And if he's at the center, then our homes have peace in them. I'm not saying there won't be problems and troubles from time to time. But boy, I'll tell you what. When you come home from work, sir, uh, you, you, know, you, you come back from, from vac- wherever it is. You, you walk in that door and you say, I am home, sweet home, baby. I mean, there ought to be something that says, I can't wait to get home. And you know what? That happens when the Lord's at the center. Then I think of Proverbs 17, 1. Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. Boy, I'll tell you again. It's not the amount of money you've got that's ever going to bring happiness and peace to your home. Quietness. This idea that if we just had more money, if we just had better things, if we we just had more stuff, we'd be happier. Talk to anybody that has anything, and they'll tell you, trust me, it's not. And it's easy, and someone says, it's easy for you to say that, you know, because you got it. But I'm, I'm telling you, you know what, we can learn one of two ways in life. The best, three ways, really. I'd say three. You can learn... You can learn, we often say the hard way or the easy way, but the truth is you can learn the hard way, obviously, which is yourself. You know, make your own mistakes all the time. Bang your head against the wall long enough, you finally realize you're not going through. Uh, and, 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 or you can learn from, we say, the mistakes of others. And here's what I believe. I believe you can watch others' lives and learn what to do, and you can watch some lives and learn what not to do. Okay, now see, that's a big thing in my life, okay? I, I, I was taught early on, just like you were, that, you know, why make the same mistakes as others, learn from their mistakes? Well, I also got thinking, as I went through life, I'd watch people and say, man, you know what, that's what I need to do. Then I'd watch other people and go, that's what I don't need to do. 
Now listen, I, you know, as young people, you need to learn to do that too. And, and as adults, we need to learn to do that. We watch situations and we see circumstances and we see families and people and couples and everything else. Man, you're watching lives and you say, now, that's what I don't want to do. But that's what I do want to do. I'm just saying, you, you got to think it through. Take time. But this quietness and peace thing. Boy, I'll tell you what. I'm watching lives and money has nothing to do with this one. The amount of, of, of accumulated things doesn't seem to bring any quietness, peace, contentment, or purpose in the lives of people today. Because the Bible said a long time ago, better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. And in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, we know the verse. You might even have it memorized, possibly. But it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now listen, I, I want you to understand, that passage is a little bit uh, misunderstood a lot of times. I just want to clarify one aspect of the verse, because I do think sometimes we misunderstand it. It says, be careful for nothing. Of course, we understand that to some degree, I think. Uh, I'm not sure we always do, but I think we, we get it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. We say, well, yeah, you go to the Lord in prayer and let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. I want the peace of God that passes all understanding. Can I tell you that most of the time we read it and we live it the way I just read it. But I left out a very important phrase. With thanksgiving. Do you realize that there's not one thing in our life that we shouldn't be thankful for? Now listen, that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. That's a real tough pill to swallow. But see, the God of heaven is not taken by surprise. And it's difficult. I, I know, grown, as a young preacher, and even now sometimes, I, I preach things and I think to myself, do I really want to say these things? Because then it puts me in a position that if God does this, then I have to act right. This is one of those passages that's tough. For a preacher to stand up and say, well, guess what? <laughs> but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. And, and to say, you've got to be willing to thank God for every situation because then and only then will you understand the peace of God. Till you can thank God for a tribulation, a trial, before you can thank God, uh, before you can experience the peace of God that passes all understanding, you have to be able to thank Him for it. That's what the passage teaches. I have firsthand experience with this years ago. I don't have time to go through it, and I don't have time to explain it again, but in the past I've shared situations where I thought I was going off to war, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't really think that was a good deal with a baby on the way. But I had to get to the place where I could thank God for the opportunity to go as a missionary and reach people with the gospel. And the very moment that I was able to thank God for it, boom, just like that, I had peace. I can't even explain it to you. Before that, I'm praying three times a day. Before that, I'm fasting every day. Before that, for two solid weeks, I got this nasty feeling in the pit of my gut of what happens if I get called up, which we were waiting on the phone call, they told us, to go on out there and prepare because we're going over. And all of a sudden, man, God did something. But that Thanksgiving thing is so important. Quietness and peace. You know why most of the time we don't find quietness and peace in difficult times? Because we've never learned to thank God. That's really the real essence of it. We can't accept it. And so we have no peace in our hearts. Now, that's not the lesson I've got to move on. But that's important stuff to understand. 
This is a, a room filled with good people. I believe godly people. People trying to please God with their lives. You know, just because we're trying to please God doesn't mean we experience peace in our lives, though. We, gotta, we still have to adopt God's purpose and plan. We've got to do things God's way, or we, even trying our very best to please God, are going to fail to experience peace. And, and it's not always easy, because that flesh wants to get in there and sometimes even kind of question God and say, you know, obviously you're making a mistake, Lord, because I definitely know better than you do on this one. That's just human nature. I just want to encourage you to, to be very close to the Lord and, and walk with Him the best you can and to really search His scriptures and know that He is good. Like that song that we just heard. That was a tough song. I know I heard some amens and stuff, but I'll be honest with you, that's a tough song. I mean, those are tough things. And, and as a pastor watching so many people in our church recently go through such difficult times, and I tell you what, it's hard to watch that. And they're good, godly people, many of them. And I look and think, wow, man, they are good Christians to be able to deal with that. Face it. I find myself sometimes saying, Lord, if I'm, when I'm in that spot, help me to be as faithful, to love you like they do, and to accept things the way they've accepted it. What an example many of them have been lately. Now, let's ask the question, what are the proper attitudes I should develop toward physical possessions? So we're going to hit this flying, okay? Here it is, because I've got to finish this, because next week, Brother Josh is on with music. I'm anxious for that. I'm looking forward to that. First of all, be content with what you have. Be content. What's the proper attitude I should develop toward physical possessions? Well, be content with what you have. Again, that one's a lot easier said than done too, isn't it? I mean, let's face it. I mean, you go out and you buy a car. And then you come to church and you see somebody else's and you're thinking, man, I like that one better than mine. I mean, honestly, the temptation is all around us all the time, isn't it? You know, I mean, it's just... It's so difficult. I mean, think about it. I'm just going to make it where the rubber meets the road. Two young people get married, and it isn't long if some certain little things happen in their marriage, if they're not careful. If they're not careful, they start looking around and go, wow, that one seems better than mine. I'll tell you what, you start thinking like that, you've got problems. You better be content with what you have. I mean, to be, content is, to be content is not to, like, grudgingly resign yourself to accept your state of, 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 of life. Well, okay, I'm content. Oh, then my job's just great. I'm fine. No, really, God's good. God's good. You know, that kind of, it's not just to, to grudgingly resign yourself to the fact or to, to, to your state, but to rest. I mean, to truly be satisfied, resting in the Lord's provision, realizing that what you've been given is a blessing from God, and that if that is what God's given you, it is good enough. It's all I need. I'm content. This is good. Right where I'm at. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have somewhat of a holy, dis, uh, holy dissatisfaction with things. Man, I, I want to do better, or I want to get further, or I want to be promoted. or I No, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about not being competitive. We're not talking about not wanting to advance, or just, I'm content to not make any money. I'm content to just, you know, uh, you know go beg on the street. I'm content to just, you know, have a pair of tennis shoes that have holes in them. I'm content. No, that's not what we're talking about. Don't misunderstand what he's talking about here in the Bible. Contentment isn't, isn't about, you're, you know, just be, you know, 
have no drive, no desire to better yourself. That's not what the issue is. The issue is, is when you are doing your very best, filled with the Spirit of God, and you end up at this place, this is good enough. This is where you belong. It's okay. You don't have to say, boy, I'm terrible. I'm bad. No. No, I'm content where I'm at. I'm all right. We don't have the biggest house on the block, but that's okay. We're working hard. We're doing our very best. and we're, we're, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. And you don't have to have the nicest car, and you don't have the nicest suit. You don't have to have the, 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 the you know, the, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, picture-perfect family, so to speak, whatever. Man, just be content where God's placed you. And you say, well, I don't like the job I'm in at the church, or I don't like this position, or I wish I was doing this. Man, this aspect of contentment crosses, it goes across every divide. It deals with every situation in your life. Well, we got to be careful And there's nothing wrong with striving to better yourself and to do more for God or to become more on behalf of the Lord and to be a better husband, to be a better wife, to be a better uh, employer, to be a better employee, whatever. That's fine. That's all good. But boy, be careful that you're not discontented because that's a miserable place to be and that is a place that dishonors God. Because it shows up on on your face all the time and it shows up in your attitude all the time. And boy, I tell you what, you want the world to follow after Christ or to be drawn to Jesus, it will not be with a discontented attitude or heart. That's not going to draw them. They're going to say, man, if, you, if he can't meet your needs, then why would I want to trust him? Hebrews 13, 5 says, let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Again, I'm not saying it's always easy. I mean, you think about when this was being written. Think about the persecution that the church was going through. Think about the fact that there were husbands whose wives and whose, as couples, they were separated and children were being taken away from them. And, and the Lord's saying to them, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. Be focused on everything you're losing, but instead be focused on what you have. For he has said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. The Lord says, when it all comes down to it, you ought to be content for no other reason than I am with you. And I will never leave you. In 1 Timothy 6, 8, the Bible says, And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. You don't see anything in there about housing, by the way. You'll never find that in the Bible. I haven't found it yet. But having food and raiment, let us be there with content. It's amazing. Well, I want a bigger house. Man, first of all, I don't even promise you a roof over your head. Jesus didn't have one. He laid his head on a pillow, a rock. I'm just saying, sometimes if we're not careful, we think God owes us something that he doesn't promise us. Now again, I'm all for having a house. When I go home tonight, let me tell you something. I can't wait to jump into bed. I'm going to just sit there and go, Ooh, thank you. This feels so good. Listen, I'm all for that. But I think sometimes we've got to be careful because our expectations and what we believe that we deserve don't measure up to what God has provided. And that breeds discontentment in our life. Boy, it's tough. And I'm not saying it's easy at times. 
Some of you have gone through some bad situations, difficult circumstances, have lost loved ones, family members, and friends, and those things are hard to accept and to deal with, but we have to learn to be content in the midst of it because He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We have Jesus. Be content with whatever state we find ourselves. We know that in Philippians 4.11. Not that I speak in respect of want, Paul the Apostle said, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. But it's something we have to learn then, isn't it? Contentment is not something that comes natural in this flesh then. Paul says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. I'm not talking to you today, Philippians, he's saying, out of want. I'm not telling you what I'm telling you because I need something from you because I want so much. No, I've learned that whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I've had to go through some difficult times. I've been out in the sea. I've had my back whooped a bunch of times with a, 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 a probably a, like a cane-like instrument. He's been uh, beaten. He's been uh, left for dead. He's been stoned, and he says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. What else? Proper attitudes, moving quickly. If and when God blesses you physically, don't forget him. You say, what's the proper attitude I should develop toward physical possessions? If and when God blesses you physically, don't forget him. Now, we could go to Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. We could look at Proverbs chapter 30, 7 through 9. What we're going to find is that in the Old Testament, it was not uncommon for the children of Israel, when God began to bless, for them to forget him. Matter of fact, God even prophesied that they would do that. See, God is so aware of our human nature. He knows exactly how we respond to things. We act sometimes as though God doesn't get us, but he gets us better than we get ourselves. He knows us. And so he warns us ahead of time, and he warned the children of Israel. And he said, listen, don't forget me when you're on that other side. Don't forget me when you cross that, 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 that Red Sea and ultimately end up over Jordan and in the Promised Land. Don't forget me after I've done all these things to drive out the inhabitants and give to you these wonderful homes and these, these stalls for your cattle. Don't forget me then. And they did. And then he goes in Revelation 3.17, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And we see the church in the New Testament as we come to a close of the church age in a place where they've forgotten God because of their prosperity. Revelation 3.17. So let it not be you and I tonight. Let us not forget the God who prospers us. And let's be honest tonight. That we can be here in a place like this and, and, and wear the clothes that we wear and drive the vehicles that we drive and go home to the places we will go home to even if we have what appears to be no, just two nickels if we're lucky to rub together. We are more blessed than 90% of the world today. I, I mean, what we have in America is beyond comprehension. People that are on assistance have more than 90% of people in third world countries. It's just amazing of the prosperity that we have in America. And we've come so accustomed to it that we don't appreciate even the least of things. So let's be very careful that we are content, yes, but that also we don't forget God when he blesses us. Then a third one, realize that if God takes all your wealth away, it should not affect your relationship with him. 
it, again, it's a principle that we have to learn. We learn it from Job. Job chapter 1, verse 20 through 22. I mean, we know that Job says, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible says in all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Man, if he takes everything, all of our wealth away, it really should not affect our relationship with him. Number four, don't be envious of someone else's wealth. It's very tempting at times to say, boy, I wish I had. Boy, I wish I had his money. I wish I had her money. Boy, I wish I had his house. Boy, look at that car he had. I wish I had his car. You know, our children hear those things, see those things. And then what we teach them basically is, is that We've been shortchanged. Somebody else has a lot better than we do. And yet we're the one that has God on our side. So our God is letting us down then. We don't want our children to learn that. We want them to learn that, man, God is good. And and we don't need what someone else has. We've got what God's given us. What God has given us is sufficient and it is good. And it is more than we could ever deserved. Boy, that's what they need to learn. Also, stay away from get-rich-quick schemes. Now that excludes Shark Tank, because I'm going to be on it one day. <laughs> I thought I had a great idea the other day, and I shared it with Sherry. And actually, I'll be honest with you, she's not in here, so I can say this. Because she won't refute it. <laughs> she actually thought for a second and went, huh. And I knew I got her. I thought, hey, it is a good idea. And then, then she went, I think somebody's already figured that one out. I was like, great, thanks a lot. And then, of course, I think I talked to Mark. He said, yes, somebody's figured it out. No, wait, it wasn't Mark on that one. It was a different one. Yeah. Me and Mark, we're going to go in and team up, and we're going to make some big money. But anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm content, though. <laughs> Stay away from get-rich-quick schemes, Proverbs 20, 21. An inheritance may be gotten hastily at the beginning, but the end thereof shall not be blessed. And then Proverbs 28, verse 20 and 22. You can write that down if you're keeping notes. You can take a look at that. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. Finally, last but not least, realize that our culture through the media and advertising has... has... A, a, a real negative influence on us, materialistically speaking. You need to guard yourself. You need to make sure your major desires are spiritual and not physical. Boy, that's a biblical principle. Proverbs 4, 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You've got to guard your heart in the world we live. And so do I. Because everywhere we turn, they're telling us how you can't possibly be happy without something. You got to have it or you just won't be complete. That's what advertising. Advertising creates a hunger and a thirst. That's what the goal of advertising is. Advertising's goal is to tell you you're missing out on something that you need. I want you to realize what you're missing. You need this. And you go, man, I do need that. You didn't need it just five minutes ago, but you need it now. Because that's what advertising does. And, and that's what our culture does. The culture says, man, you can't be happy without this stuff. 
money, possessions, this or that. Be careful. Guard your hearts. And I'll do my best to guard my heart too. Because listen, we're all susceptible. And we're simply flesh and humans. And boy, the world does have a pull on us. We have to make sure that we are rooted in the Word of God, grounded in that book, and and allowing the Holy Spirit of God to work in our lives. Otherwise, we will just be taken by the winds and waves of this world. We'll be just... The current of the world will just carry us away. And we certainly don't want that, do we? You wouldn't be here tonight if you wanted that. You want what God has. So let's work at it. Let's just be very aware of how the Lord, how the, the, the God of this world is working to try to manipulate our minds to follow after Him instead of the God who saved our soul.